Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mino Line Media presents Business of the Beat. Hi, I'm Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, and I am a founder, brand builder, entrepreneur, and believe in the mantra, Carpe Diem. I created this podcast, Business of the Beat, through my own experience as a beauty executive to talk about, tell stories, and highlight the business of beauty through conversations with beauty and wellness entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, helping to diversify the industry. This week on Business of the Beat. I think it's really about, for me, being able to understand like all of our experiences really mold our mindset and how we can accept them, like really work together with different types of people, how you can communicate with different types of people and really just allow myself to like be reminded in every almost interaction that I'm having with different people and how I speak about things too. Hi everyone, I'm your host, Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, and welcome to Business of the Beat. Today's guest is Avna Vwama, founder and CEO of Hana Hana Beauty. This is part one. Make sure that you listen through part one and that you patiently wait for part two to come out next Sunday. Avna, welcome to Business of the Beat. I am so happy to have you on the show I've already been gushing about Hana Hana Beauty and the products and the exfoliating and all the things. So this is a true treat. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Really, really excited to be here. Um, But yeah, I'm excited to get into conversation. I know. Let's jump right in. So five years. Congratulations. That's amazing. I mean, all the feels and energy and excitement. And we know that it's been reported that only about half of small businesses, ranging from 45 to 51%, you know, survive. And not only are you surviving, but you're thriving and you're growing. And five years is such a phenomenal feat. So let's talk about you and what you've been doing, not just in these last five years to grow your brand, but where are you from? What's your story? How were you inspired growing up? Yeah, well, by my name, you can kind of tell I'm Ghanaian. I'm Ghanaian-American. Um, I was born in the States, actually in D.C., and both my parents are Ghanaian and made the decision for both my brother and I to live in Ghana as kids first and then come back for schooling. Um, but since being an adult, I've been living in between Ghana and here, um, but currently based in Chicago. And I mean, when I think of things that have always inspired me, before I wanted to do anything around beauty, I was in education. I was a teacher and actually um, got my master's in counseling psychology. So I was actually doing therapy. And I think ever since a kid, it's always been around how do you like help people or like teach people things. Like I remember being a kid, like, you know, with like the little play doctor's kit or just always asking people questions. Like my first job was teaching piano, like teaching reading, like being able just to spread education or like just ways of learning. I don't even think it was really about education. I think it's just like 
allowing people to feel comfortable to like learn new things has always been something of my inspiration and just being inspired by other people and especially just black women. Like when I think of my mom, when I think of my grandma, my grandma was a teacher, my, even just honestly, my whole family and just like culture, like my dad is someone that has always inspired me around like thinking, even just like within math, he was a mathematician. He does like actuarial science. So just always being able to combine creativity and like the analytical thought, which entrepreneurship I think is probably the best way to go in <laughs> need some time to get here um but I feel like for me it's always around like purpose is what's always really inspiring for me if it matches in my purpose of what I think is around like curating things where people can learn comfortably um about themselves or just new skills um then I'm gonna try to like do it and do it in a way that's sustainable um for all parts involved wow there is something so special about education, knowledge, learning, being a teacher, and really letting that drive your purpose for all things, right? Because we all have to be willing to not just learn, but to also teach others and to share our gifts. And I love that that's woven through your story. And you talk about before you could even start school, your mom had you live in Ghana. So you're born here yeah. in D.C. and then you move off to Ghana. What was that? What do you remember? How long were you there? And then when did you come back? So I came back, I think, right before I turned four. Um, so I don't remember. The thing is, my parents, my grandma, I live with my grandma and she did such a great job of documenting. I think that's why I love like documentary of like all the things we do with Hana Hana because my grandma had these books of like me with all these outfits and behind each outfit was like a letter that she wrote but it was in the um like as if I was speaking to my brother and speaking to my parents because I have an older brother so she would have like send pictures and like every like it would be like hi I went to a wedding today for the first time. <laughs> or like I went with grandma to this like lunch and she let me wear this and this is why I'm wearing this outfit um so like you know I don't I don't remember a lot from that time, but there's so many people like, you know, my uncles who were like in their thirties or in their early twenties, like, you know, late twenties or just people that were like my age right now living in Ghana that, you know, I was their niece that was there or like this little girl. And so it's so <laughs> great, like being able to go back and forth. And as I grow up, like meeting people who met me, like when I was in Ghana running around and they'll be like, no, I literally changed your diaper. And I'm like, <laughs> and they're like now you're selling skincare like now you're living in Ghana again um it's just always so fun like I am so grateful to my parents for that because it also allowed me to learn chi which is our native tongue so I learned chi before I learned English when I came back is when I learned English here so it's really just allowed me to I think think about language and how you connect to people um very importantly because my grandma said like she intentionally made sure that I wouldn't learn English in Ghana because she wanted me to learn English where I am going to be living, you know, and like rarely like learn how to kind of assimilate my language and my tone there and allow myself to have the same tone and just speaking to you here. So I think just there's so much intentionality behind the planning of like my brother and myself living there that it just really 
makes me think about like how when I want to have children or like just in general, like how you think about living, right? Like in different places um, and really the privileges that I've had being able to know exactly where I'm coming from um, and knowing that I can go right back to, because there's a lot of people that may know where they're coming from, but maybe they don't feel as like safe what the stage of what the country's going through or different things like that to even be able to go back. And you know, it's, I think my identity as being Ghanaian really branched from there. And even just coming back to the States, my parents really made sure that, yes, you were, you're an American child, but you live in a Ghanaian household. You live in, you have a Ghanaian community and just being able to wow. be raised in that. Wow. That is so beautiful. It really is. It's very touching. And I love how you say that you understand the blessings around it. Because a lot of people don't know, they don't have the ability to go back to the source of their parents and their grandparents. Yeah. And thinking about the gift that that is and how it so informs and shapes the mindset. And for you, it's really interesting when you talk about identity, language, and then this sense of having the community, right? So talk about like, the role of that because you grew up with community you grew up understanding your identity on both fronts because you're you're now living two identities even though it's all through the same soul of who you are and what you believe and then this notion of understanding language so how did identity language and community kind of inform you as you started to grow up and then moving your way into being an entrepreneur hmm. it's a it's, it was, it's been a process right <laughs> definitely been a process I feel like as a child I was like I understood that I was Ghanaian like I understood that yes also that I was black too right like I was a black American like African-American to me was like yeah because I'm actually really African and I know where I'm from and I am American <laughs> like that was kind of like my understanding of it even though I knew it meant something different to other people like I was like this is actually the right um, identity for me of what that exactly means. And um, I think as I grow older, like being able to be like, oh no, I'm Ghanaian American because I can even identify farther of what that means too, right? Um, so I think just being able to be adaptable, like having yeah. summers where I was able to travel to Silver Spring and Maryland and be around family all the way to traveling to Ghana, like being able to have those privileges of like just different types of community and being adaptable to like how those different types of people. Um, Cause I think sometimes as like, when you think of blackness and how we've been kind of taught is like around this whole of a monolith, right? And for me, it's like, I never really look at that because when even growing up, you're like, I'm taught, you know, I'm from Kwewu, we're from the mountains. There's also people that are from you know, there are Ewes, there's Ashant, like, there's just so many different types of people, right? And then even in the States, it's like, oh, from the Midwest to New York, like, I was just seeing Ghanians, even in all these different areas. And so I think for me, even when forming a business and Hanahana itself, it's really allowed me to be like, okay, how do you intentionally create a brand where Black women globally or a black people globally can somehow connect to it. Like when it talks about in the sense of skin, when we think around like product and creation production wise, but really overall, just like how do we make sure that 
you know, we're not seeing black people as a monolith. Like we're the understanding that I'm first generation, you know, there's second generation. There's people that were born in Ghana that can connect to this and really looking at the global aspect of blackness and how we as a brand can even grow. And like, even when I'm in those conversations with like investors and they're talking about retail or talking about like your community, I'm like, our community is more than just right here in the States. Our community, like when we think of scaling, we look at like, there are black people everywhere around the world, one, but also there are people all around the world too that are wanting to take care of their skin and wanting to really understand what goes into that time, you know? So I think it's just, it's a really allowed me to see community bigger than just like the community that's around me and also allowed me to feel like I have a lot of choice and how I want to be impactful towards the different communities too. Oh my goodness. Like, and this notion of there are so many generations of different types of people and what makes it beautiful is that we can all come together and that we can see community as bigger than just one monolith, yeah. one thing. And I think that it gives you so much perspective, right? Because we can't create a brand that's going to be scalable if we're only centered on one person, one thing, one type. We have to be able to service the majority of people that we think our products can serve. Yeah. And so I love really how you approach it. And, and it's interesting when you talk about African American, Black American, kind of living both sides of that and the conversations that are happening between, what has been your experience? Like, is there a conversation that you're seeing between the term African American, Black American? How does that show up and what's your perspective? I feel like I haven't, I feel like that, you know, Hmm. I think that that focus point of that conversation is something that I'm not usually dwelling on. I feel like for me is like being able where like yesterday, I literally just got back from being in Ghana for a month and doing work there. And it's the conversations that happen in the sense of what people's perspectives are, you know, like when people are in Ghana and what they see as blackness in America and what they're projected to, or the, like, you know, the photos or what the storylines, right? Like I can hear someone be like, I can say I'm from Chicago, like oh, Chief Keith or like Shy Rat. Like, and that's something that can happen like in New York to LA, to Ghana, right? And all you say is I'm from Chicago and they'll be like, oh my God, Chirac. And as someone that has been a teacher, right, on the West side and the South side of Chicago and been in activism work during this time or been doing like healthcare work. And like, I'm like, no, 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 let's, <laughs> we're more than just cheap or we're more than just O black. Like, you know, it's just the things that are, presented to people and so I think it's more so around how when you have these different identities how do you represent yourself because I you know I can very Chicago vibes I've been here for 10 years you know what I mean but also yes if I'm in a different yesterday you hear me talking to my mom or you hear me talking to my friends in Ghana the the accent switches up a bit you know what I mean so like yeah I think it's really about for me 
being able to understand like all of our experiences really mold our mindset and how we can accept them, like really work together with different types of people, how you can communicate with different types of people and really just allow myself to like be reminded in every almost interaction that I'm having with different people and how I speak about things too. That's really where I feel like for me, when I think about blackness and the conversations is sometimes like even moving it past like black versus African-American, but just really like letting people say like where are they from like who are you how do you want to be called like what do you identify as how like and what does that mean you know what I mean and just being able to understand that because the diaspora is so large the diaspora is so so large and I think that people are trying to regardless of if you are like you know directly like first generation from Ghana Senegal like Mali wherever you are to just what anyone's just trying to figure out who they are and how they identify. Like people in Ghana are trying to feel the same way. How do they continue to grow and understand their identity? What does that mean for them? And so it's really just allowing that space for people to do that. Wow, there is something so powerful in understanding your identity, as you say, and like really understanding like, what do you wanna be called? And how do you wanna show up in the world? and how does that impact who you are inside? Because all of that impacts how you show up on the outside and how people see you, but more importantly, is how you see yourself yeah. and who you are and how you recognize your role in the world, regardless of all of this, regardless of race, gender, all these different things. Because at the end of the day, if we know who we are and what we wanna be called, then that enables us to really create the best future for ourselves. And then especially for our community, yeah. you know, we talk a lot on the show about seeing is believing is becoming. And so all of that does play in together. And I like, you know, as we've been talking, you've continued to talk about purpose. You've continued to mention intentionality. We've talked about community, but you also have now brought in activism. And I think that when we look at the pillars of Hanahana, and this amazing brand that you've built, it's all been based upon social impact, activism, and purpose. So talk about, as you were thinking about, okay, I want to create this brand. How did all of that inform your decision? Because you could have just come out with the product, but you came out with the product and so much more. Yeah. I mean, it's really more so like 2014, I was teaching I had moved in, like I was a year in from Chicago. Um, my skin was just like, what the hell is going on in this cold? Yeah. And, like I was also just stressing. Like, I mean, 2014, I don't know if you guys remember. There's just so much going on. And also I was really having like a real awakening around education system. I mean, I came from being like in suburbia. Like I had so many opportunities in high school, like I, you know, I was like the black kid in the honors class or in the IB class, like in those, the AP class and just those types of things like that. And so coming and being a teacher where I was just like, why don't they have this? Wait, why isn't there a nurse here all the time? Or like, you, you know, you think of, um, I love, what is it? Wow. Brought in her new show. Um, oh my goodness, Abbott Elementary. And like, yes. I'm like, if they had another character in there, there would be like me who is like looking at her like, you're doing too much, but also yes, like how do we do this? Like, how do we get this mm -hmm. together? No one has time for it. Like, 
let's make changes. And I was really coming into education in the space of like, oh my gosh, we are supposed to be so unharmful. We are supposed to like really create choices so that these kids can learn. And we're supposed to be here for black and brown people. So like, let's do it. Why am I getting pushback? And so really making Shay and making my own products was just like my own self-care. I never really had the... Um, it wasn't this like foresight of like, I'm going to become a beauty founder and a beauty brand. This is what I'm <laughs> going to do. This is my way out. I was really just like, I'm just going to make some shade for myself. I'm going to start giving it to friends and family, you know, and I would just do it. And I think 2016, I just kept on getting a lot of friends that were like, you really should do this. I was, you know, around a lot of different black women that were creating spaces intentionally for black women, like with black grown own Lauren Ash was someone that like, it was my first time really seeing someone be like, no, this is a place for black women. I'm doing this. I'm going to call it black girl gnome. I'm going to, you know, and it, so I was just so inspired. I was like involved in a lot of like teacher activism work in the sense of just action work and planning and seeing how social media would work when you would give information out of what was going on and how you could really like bring people together and being a part of that, like it was just like this learning. Um, so when it came time to even think around, okay, I'm gonna launch this, the research and this like, that push was already behind because as a teacher, you always do your research, right? You do your research behind and how do you present it? And as a teacher too, like how do you present something so kids would love to learn? And like those PowerPoints used to be my mood boards, you know, like, <laughs> I was like oh, I just get to make PowerPoints forever and just make them pretty. Of course, you know? Um, so for me to start, I was like, well, I want to learn where everything happens. And already my first time making Shea was just because I'm Ghanaian. I literally had raw Shea for myself. Wow. Um, but like I was, you know, talking to my aunt around how to source it. And she's like, yeah, you, I, I can just buy it from you or you can just buy it from me. And I was like, but where do you get it from? She's like, well, I get it from this guy yes. who then, you know, he gets it from the cooperatives. I was like, oh, the cooperatives. And I just started Googling and seeing how people were creating. And I was like, well, I just want to get it from the cooperatives too. And when it came in 2017, when we launched Hanahana, I knew that I wanted the mission to be around something with working with producers. When I went to Ghana in 2017 again, um, and for the first time, like as an adult, and actually got to meet the cooperative, that and like see how the process happened and learn about the money and learn about like this really the exchange. I was like, oh, this makes no sense. Like you're doing all this work for this little guy wow. and you're not sustained. And when you look at the clean beauty industry, especially 2017, clean, sustainability, eco-friendly, those, those are the biggest, like, you know, you saw everyone like, we're sustainable. And I was like, but are you? Because the people that are making yes. your products are not living sustainable lives. And this isn't because I'm coming and being like, oh, the way you're living is poor or like you're in poverty is because I'm having conversations with these people and they're saying, yeah, we would like to have access to healthcare. We would like to have access to water, clean water. We would like to have access for our children to feel like they don't have to go into this work, but they can do whatever they want. And those are things that we all want. And so it was like, how do you then strategize around one, being able 
to create access for the people that are sustaining your business, as well as teach people around this, because we want to grow. For us to, to do any impactful work, we have to grow as a brand. We have to scale as a brand. We have to bring that marketing and all those things, but we can build a foundation where it happens and like everyone is winning. And it takes time. It takes time and money. That's what I would say, right? Money and time is really wow. Important. And so it does being able to do that and take my time with it. Um and really just understand the foundation that we were really trying to build at Hanahana. Um and going back and forth. Because the first three years of Hanahana, I would say before 2020, even my focus around like being this like beauty brand was not, it was like if you were asking me, I'd be like, yeah, we just need to do social impact. Like, I'm just trying to live. <laughs> I don't t- like in investment. Okay, maybe we'll take investment, you know. And then when I was like, okay, I have to actually get, I can't just do this bootstrap. Like, I have to to do these impactful things that I want, like what I want Hannah Hannah to be able to grow into. Like, I need to bring my same level of strategy into the marketing space as well as into like how it scales. And I think naturally because I loved aesthetic and I knew how like I wanted things to look like and really being able to work with other creators like Dion who's done our mood mm-hmm. photos forever. Like being able to build that and cultivate that, I had this natural push of how to market things, you know, but I felt like I took 2020 to really like buckle down and learn as much around the beauty space as well as bring connections and bring in those mentorships to really like think about what does it look like to scale a sustainable brand? Like if we're going to talk about sustainability, how do we also scale sustainable? You know, like how do we make all those moves and do the things that we want to? I mean, the, the way that you've approached it, it is interesting. And, and I think that it's really exciting. And I think that there's so much here to unpack because even if we go back to 2014 as a teacher and talking about let's make changes. And then in 2016, you're creating shape for yourself and you're giving it to your friends. And then I love this notion of, I want to go to the source, right? So your aunt's like, here, you can get it. And you're like, no, what's this thing called the collective? And it is like the background. When you talk about being a teacher and research, researching and understanding where you can fit in the market. How do you show up? Why are you showing up? How are you different? That's such a valuable lesson that you're sharing and educating other founders on because so many times we jump into something and we're not backed by the research and the data to inform how we can even create scale. Yeah. So I really thought that that was smart. And as you started to do the research and you started to go into this shade, you know, go into the cooperatives, Talk about this moment in 2017, because you're launching, you're going back and forth, you're talking to the cooperatives. Did you have a business plan? I know that you were saying at first it wasn't about investing, but even when you think about sustainability and people not living sustainable and wanting to change that, what was that time between 2017 and 2020 and just purely brand building? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely still building the brand. I think I was more so, I remember... Oh my goodness. Unilever had their, you know, they do this application. I was so young and I was just like, I'm going to apply. 
I was like, like, I was so nice. I think that was so great though, you know, because I was very naive about this space. So I applied to anything. I applied to all things. I was, and it allowed, because I was applying to things so early, I was learning how to build my financial model or learning my business plan, right? But my business plan wasn't, you know, at this point where I'm like, yeah, we are <laughs> B2C and moving into Omni channels and da, da, da. You know, I was <laughs> not at all in that space. I was, my business plan was more so focused around the impact, you know, and that was probably mm-hmm. a lot of the reasons why I didn't get in a lot of these things because I was just so focused on like, yeah, this is what we're going to do with the impact. This is the Hana Hana Circle of Care. Like even before I knew the name of it, like these are the initiatives, which was so important because it's really allowed us to, it holds us accountable as a brand to really continue to meet because it, like I talked, you listen to some of my early interviews, probably I was probably just like, oh, the beauty world, I'm over (laughs) (laughs) The most unsustainable place ever. Like, you know, um, really, really in that space. But um, I think what was so great about that time is that it allowed me to learn what it also meant to build a team because I was doing everything by myself. You know, I was making Shay in my kitchen, but then I would live for like six to seven months in Ghana. So I would have to build and train team to sell products here or just to package products. And, you know, I didn't really think about ad spend. I was just like, let's just show our journey online. Mm -hmm. Let's, you know, get this organic press. Like anytime someone would reach out, it's like, okay, let's, let's just do it. Let's build our own community. It was really a time where, you know, we started our beauty and chill series. We did like beauty and chill. And I think it was like Sophia Rowe, Brooke DeVard, um, oh my God, Trinity from Gold. Yeah, I think they were our three. There's someone else. Oh, and Maya Allen, Maya Allen, who is now, wow, yeah. Maya Allen at now. She's like, Beauty, I don't, I forget where she's actually at at this moment. I think she, um, but she was at InStyle maybe, but she's yeah. like grown. And so it was all these women that were like, you know, 2017, people kind of knew about all these women, but not really. We were all just building our own community and being able to start doing these types of conversations or classes where it was like yoga and chill where black and brown women are coming to do yoga and then like learn how to do herbal blends and then buy stay. Like these were the ways that I, I wasn't so focused on the sales aspect, but because I was focused on community, it kind of brought in the sales aspect organically, you know? And so yes. it's one of those things when you're now in these conversations with, you know, these investors, they're like, wait, you did all of this without money or you were just <laughs> randomly getting partnerships with Nike and outdoor voices or like, chase like what how are you doing these things and it was I came into it very naive I was just like why wouldn't you want to be a part like I think for me yes you're like of course (laughs) you know and I also had this like opportunity where people started to learn about me just through social because of the photography and things and really just putting out these imagery of showcasing different types of black women and dark-skinned women and not just this like you know, very marketable moment of like, oh, dark skin and like, you know, tokenized, but like, no, these are types of them that will show up all the time. These are people, these are black people that will show up all the time in these photos and they're going to be beautiful and they're going to not just be what everyone was seeing. Um, 
and bring like and just elevate so it was like 2017 to 2020 yeah. it, it was a fun moment because i feel like it could also went really bad too and <laughs> just leaves their brand for like seven months at a time to another place to do like work but i mean i was in ghana for a reason like i would live in Accra and really understand the market but then also at the same time i was going back and forth to tamale to really speak to the community and build what mm-hmm. we call the Hana Hana circle of care and not just be like, okay, this is what I think you need. Like, who am I to tell you what you need when I don't even know it, you know? And so it really became like a really great time to learn for myself. And I think through this whole process has just been a learning experience in general, like each step. Well, it's so natural and authentic and people toss around the word authentic so easily without truly understanding the meaning of it. And even when you talk about learning and growing and being there for seven months, like you are driving true sustainability and you're driving scale. So when we think about the Hanahana circle of care, I love on the website how you basically explain what it is you're doing and how you're giving and how you're changing. So it's one thing to say I am creating sustainable change and sustainable livelihoods for the people that I'm working with, but you're actually doing it. So I know that you're raising 65,000 to sustain and scale impact. And when we think about it, you have listed, you know, you're paying two times the asking price. You're hosting biannual healthcare check days. You're in a partnership with the hospital. You've served 400 plus women and children to date with hepatitis B, you're doing cooperative photo IDs. Like there's so much richness that I do think that as founders, we have to figure out what's differential, right? Like we just, we were just talking to a founder about there's so many moisturizers, right? And yes, there are different ingredients and different formulas, but what really sets it apart is the founder's commitment to something beyond just the product in the jar that they're selling. Yeah. And that's what I just love, the benefits, the impact. And so talk about that. So you were there for seven months. How often do you go back when you think about the benefits and what you're doing? Like, how are you able to continue that? And even from afar? Yeah. Well, so I was there. I was there more than seven months, basically in between the time of 2000. I think when I graduated in 2018, I moved to Ghana and then I would stay for seven months. I would come back and stay again. So I would just keep going back and forth. So I would come back like in the summer times here to do our activations and make a lot of product. And then I would go back. And so 2020 kind of, you know, shut that down a little bit. And for me, we've really been able to build out our social impact team. We have a social impact lead, Kenny Bajunzi, who's amazing. She used to be our grant writer. Now she leads. We have Nat, who is actually based in Ghana. He's our healthcare and community coordinator. His father, um, rest in peace, he was actually who introduced me to the women. So he was the person that was working with me when I first went to Ghana and just like learning and like he would bring back prop, like, you know, he was helping us transfer and he sadly passed away. And so when I came back to move there, I was introduced to Nat, who at the time was in finishing his nursing degree. So he came back. He's like, I I do healthcare all the time. (laughs) Like, this is my job. This is what I do. I would love to like work you know, like not just within the hospital space, like how can I do this type of work? Um, And then we have Nana, 
also who is like does our project managing and we have volunteers that have helped all the time Della who's a really great friend of the brand always works with us so we've been able to build that team out because again my position is to be a CEO and founder right like I have to be able to not just focus on social impact I have to be able to really think about the um, the growth and how we really scale as a brand and everyone involved of how people grow also and strategically move, right? So I really had to bring people in that could continue to push my vision of our mission as well as them bring in different ways of how we can, you know, grow. Because right now with the Hana Hana Circle of Care, we're actually in the process of now becoming just a straight nonprofit for it. Um, and Mm -hmm. we did our last healthcare day in April and we did the folk every healthcare day, which is biannual. What we do is focus it on a different need. So this healthcare was around eyewear and eye protection because when the women are going through the process of, um, you know, roasting the shea, the nuts, um, they are getting so much smoke. There's a lot of damage that can come from that. Mm-hmm. And like, how do you have protective glass glasses, but as well, as well as just like, how do you have eyewear, you know? And how do you make sure yeah. these checkups? So we did full checkups, eye checkups. It was so beautiful. Like people were getting glasses for the first time. We, you know, there was women that, um, a couple of people that had glaucoma, they didn't know, but because of the partnership that we have with, our different hospitals, they were allowed to then get free surgery after. Um, wow. Before we did it focus on breast cancer awareness. And again, you know, we think of these like these um, benefits, healthcare, right? Like checkup every six months. That's something that's really normalized for me growing up, especially when I growing up with a dad that was working in insurance, right? Like you are going to be healthy. You are going to make sure you get all your checkups. <laughs> you, I didn't even, I was until... I, you know, turned 27 and decided at that same time to like, just be like, no, F it. I don't want to, I just want to work for myself. I did not realize that people didn't have insurance. I really was living this privileged lifestyle of like, yeah, like, I don't even know what insurance is, but I know I have it. And even to the point of when I was, you know, didn't have insurance, I worked in healthcare facilities before. Like I was a therapist. I knew how to access, you know, something that was on a rolling scale. Like I knew those terminologies. So for me, I was like, if I'm going to have a brand and maybe I'm not at the point where I can give everyone insurance, I'm going to make sure that everyone knows how to access some level of healthcare, especially the producers. Right. Um, so with our the Hana Hana Circle of Care, we've been able to really grow it and we want to scale it not just for the producers we work with, but also just for like in general, how do producers that are creating these raw materials, maybe we're starting just with Shea, but like these raw materials, Shea's in everything. Shea's not just in yeah. your body butter, Shea's in your makeup, Shea's in like mm-hmm. a lot of things. You see it, you might not know the inky name, but it's there. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yes, exactly. And it's the net worth of Shea is a lot. People are making a lot of money in the beauty industry. We cannot deny it. Like, it is just the truth. Even when people try to say, like, oh, no, there's no more space. You could start a brand today, and you could easily make a million at the end of the year if that is what you wanted to do. 
you know, and I, it, you wanted to go wow. in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know what's possible. So it's around the fact of like, okay, how can everyone eat? Like, how can literally the people that are sustaining your production for you to like even grow, how can they do that? And so with the Hana Hana Circle of Care, what we're doing is like, how do we do that on both ends? From the communities we source from all the way to the communities that are supporting us with their dollars, which again, within the beauty industry, who is the person, who are the group of people that are supporting the most with their dollars? Black women. Like, it's like an undeniable thing, right? Like, how do we create things that are benefiting them, not just through our product? Because our product price point is not accessible to everyone, but the education or the information or the different acts of accessibility that we can create from healthcare to wellness opportunities to just like curating moments where people feel good about themselves and can learn about themselves, that is something that we can do. So how can we just really like strategize around our brand to do that and build that within our ethics and our foundations and ethos as we grow? And with that, follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode and we love to hear from you. Your ratings and reviews mean so much. Until next week. Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, assistant producer Jenny Salk, associate producer Ariel Mancibo, executive producer Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, edited by Fishmar Creative, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast, and on IG at Business of the Beat. Business of the Beat is a mean old line media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.